1: this episode contains several mentions of the N-word, which have been bleeped.
0: So this house down here on the left, across from the silo, was the first house that I believe our ancestors lived in. My name's Lori Atkins, and I live in Lincoln, Vermont. And this is my cousin.
2: My name is Kathy Stetch, and I live in Georgia, Vermont. And my Grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents were one of the first African-American settlers here in Hinesburg. And I grew up
0: thinking I was white.
1: From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy, back again with my colleague Emily Corwin. Hello. So, Emily, tell us about this week's question asker.
3: Our question asker is Gail Harris. She lives in Berlin, Vermont, and she's curious about the history of black settlers here. Here's her question
4: What's the history of Hinesburg, Braintree, and other black communities in the 1800s? How were they started, and are they being remembered?
3: So to answer Gail's question, I talked to a lot of people, including the two cousins you just heard from a moment ago, and we're going to hear from them again later on. And what I found was a really forgotten history that some people, upon uncovering it, take a lot of pride in, and other people are still trying to cover up.
1: We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks to VEDA for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974,
4: VEDA has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. At first, I didn't consider Blacks because I didn't think they were here, because that's what I was told when I was growing up.
3: In the early 1990s, Elise Gayette was looking for a subject for her master's thesis in history at UVM. But the only story she'd heard about Black folks in Vermont was people passing through Vermont to Canada on the Underground Railroad.
4: That was the story. It was wrong.
3: Fast forward to today, Guyette has spent much of the last three decades researching Black pioneers who settled Vermont alongside whites after the American Revolution.
4: Well, the scale is not large. They weren't huge numbers ever. Um, But in the early 1800s, the percentage of blacks in Vermont was larger than it is now.
3: Vergennes in 1790 was 7% black. Today, it's 0.2. Braintree, Woodstock, Windsor, Ferrisburg all had significant black populations, along with cities like St. Albans and Bennington. Guyette says some black people were enslaved to white families who came to farm the land. And yes, it was legal to enslave black children. She says when they became adults, they'd be sold in say, New York or kept on despite the law. But most of the black folks in Vermont at the turn of the 19th century came as free people from elsewhere in New England. Some bought their own land to farm. Others worked as servants and laborers. In her book, Discovering Black Vermont, Guyette focuses on the lives of two families that settled that same hill in Hinesburg we heard about at the beginning of the episode. On the top of the hill was the Clark family. At the bottom, the Peters. Today, there's a road there. It's called Lincoln Hill Road. But back then, it was wilderness.
4: They came to virgin territory. It had not been farmed. It was still old growth forest. The trees were like six feet around.
3: Just getting to the hill, let alone clearing the farmland, would have been back-breaking work. But Guyette figures the place had two things to offer. One, at the top, it got more hours of sunlight, which was good for farming. And two, it was remote. Elsewhere in Vermont, Guyette says, some whites menaced their black neighbors.
4: They weren't treated well at all. Um, People would burn their hay wrecks, they'd tear down their fences, you know, if they were living next, next door to whites.
3: And so, first the Clarks and then the Peters built homes on the hill in Heinsburg, before there was even a road leading to them. Over the years, they planted orchards and tapped their maples for syrup. They raised sheep and cows. They made butter and sold it. I
4: find Elmira Clark in a general store ledger that people had set aside. They wanted her butter set aside so that they could come and buy her butter because she knew what she was doing.
3: The families bought more land and built more homes on the Hill for their children's families.
4: And they became very successful.
3: The kids went to Hinesburg and Huntington Public Schools. The men voted in local and federal elections. Guyette figures Schubel Clark, who was born enslaved in New Milford, Connecticut, died in 1834 in Hinesburg, wealthier than 70 percent of the region's farmers, black or white. The Civil War was still three decades away. But these families' success in the town of Heinsberg, it didn't last.
4: You can see the land starting to dwindle, and they don't have as much
3: wealth. Guyette isn't sure exactly what happened. She does know that farming was growing more industrialized, and because of this, wealthy farmers were buying up more land and consolidating. But by the middle of the 1800s, this kind of expansion may have gotten harder for the Clarks and the Peters.
4: So they weren't giving blacks loans. They were getting loans. They were getting mortgages, you know, in the early days. And then it became more and more difficult. I mean, this was early redlining.
3: Whenever the reason, the two families had stopped farming on the Hill by the start of the Civil War. The Peters stayed in their homestead, working as servants and laborers for white neighbors. The Clarks sold their land and left town. Some bought land in Williston, Burlington, and the Northeast Kingdom. Others left Vermont for Ohio and South Carolina. Today, moss grows on a few slabs of rock, which just barely stick up through leaves and pine needles at the top of Lincoln Hill Road. This is the Clark family cemetery, though you'd never know it just passing by. There's no sign, no fence, and nobody to clear leaves away from the graves.
2: I couldn't believe it. It was just amazing, really.
3: Karen Henry is the great, 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 great granddaughter of Schubel and Violet Clark, who settled at the top of the hill. She's African-American, unlike the cousins we met at the top of the show. She says she only learned about her family's history in Vermont when her husband, Dean, found Elise Gayette's book online.
4: He's the genealogist here.
3: Dean had been trying to piece together his wife's family tree, and he knew Karen was descended from a freed slave named Shubel Clark. Dean considers himself pretty educated about Black history. But he says he was surprised reading in the book about Shubel's life in Vermont.
4: It was amazing to me that there were Black farmers in the early 1800s, anywhere that amassed a lot of land, let alone Vermont.
3: Karen and Dean live in Pennsylvania. A handful of years ago, they took a trip to Vermont to see for themselves the land Karen's family had owned and prospered on 200 years before.
2: I mean, the sign, and I guess yeah, I sent you, you sent her a picture of the sign that we had our pictures taken under and also, yeah.
3: There's a picture of the two of them standing next to a historical marker the state put at the bottom of the hill in 2010 after Guyette's book was published. The trip was a big deal for both of them.
4: given me personally uh, a a sense of pride, but also a sense of more belonging in America. Yeah, like Um, we really are a part of this. Yeah.
3: But not all of the descendants from the hill share Karen and Dean's pride.
0: After this will be aired, There will be ramifications that we will both endure from this.
3: This is Lori Atkins. We met her and her cousin Kathy Stetch at the top of the episode. Both women look white despite their heritage. They're in their 50s and only discovered they had black ancestors back in 2002. Gayette presented some of her early research at a public forum in Heinsberg, and the cousins were excited to attend. But what they learned there It didn't go over well at home.
2: I was told to stop. If I cared about my grandmother and our family, I would stop.
3: We were shamed. Kathy says her mom, Norma, refused to talk about it until she was on her deathbed. That's when Norma, who had blue eyes and blonde hair, just like Kathy, told her how growing up in Hinesburg, the kids made her sit in the back of the school bus because they knew where her people came from. Lincoln Hill. Although, that's not what they called it. Not then. And Kathy and Lori say, not even today.
2: You talk to anyone in town and it's still... (laughs) Hill to this day. And I I live here. That's what it's referred to. Some people will say, Lincoln Hill, where's
3: that? And then, remember (laughs) Hill? Oh yeah. Racism in the town has lingered in other ways, too. That historical marker Karen and Dean posed under for a photo when they visited the hill, it was destroyed not too long after the two returned to Pennsylvania. Someone defaced it, drove it up the hill, and threw it in the Clark Family Cemetery. Here's Kathy again.
2: My father was extremely prejudiced. And when he found out, you know, we're talking 10 years ago, that my mother had African American in her family history... He actually was awful to me. He said, with me sitting right there, he said, you know, had I known your mother had African-American blood in her, I never would have married her and all this, and I didn't, wouldn't have
3: had kids. And I'm like, you're talking about me. I said, how can you even say that? Perhaps the most painful moment of all of this came for Lori when she was still married to a man whose family has also lived in Hinesburg for generations. There was a big family barbecue, and Lori says she was excited to introduce her father-in-law to her beloved grandmother, Irene, for the first time. This was roughly 2002.
0: And when he came out, I'll never forget it. We introduced him, and he said, I know her. She's one of the neighbors from the Hill. And my grandmother... And I'll
2: never forget her face.
0: Me either. And at that moment, my grandmother was so disrespected...
3: Lori and Kathy both grew up adoring their grandmother. They say they want to celebrate their family's role as successful farmers and early settlers in Hinesburg to honor her. But even today, the local school district doesn't include this history of the hill in its curriculum. This
0: town should recognize. These children in these schools should be learning about the hill. Newcomers to our come move to Vermont. They should know about what's here the wonderful stuff that's here, the hill.
3: The fact that Heinsberg had a flourishing Black community that has been largely forgotten by its current residents does not make it unusual in Vermont. What's unusual is that someone, Elise Gayet, took the time to do the research and to tell the story. Our question asker, Gail, also mentioned Braintree in her question to us. In 1800, almost 4% of that town was black. But when I called the town's historical society, Jackson Evans told me early black settlers in Braintree had not historically received much attention.
0: It's really been underrepresented and understudied, you know, for a while.
3: But Evans was so intrigued by Gail's question that within two hours of my asking him, he unearthed a pretty full history of one of Braintree's black families without even leaving home. Now he and another member of that town's historical society say they plan to keep researching.
0: You know, it's amazing what a little spark will do.
3: That spark is just what author Elise Gayette was hoping to ignite when she published her book back in 2010. She once created a digital database that lists all of the Black people, their ages, where they lived, and what they did for work in Vermont between the Revolutionary and Civil Wars. She thought maybe someone would take the time to learn about other Black families who settled in Vermont towns like Ferrisburg or Woodstock.
4: I'm still hopeful that someday there will be people who take an interest and do want to do, uh, you know, research the histories of their towns. Because the stories are there. They're just waiting for somebody.
3: She says anyone who wants access to her database just has to get in touch. For Brave Little State, I'm
1: Emily Corwin. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Gail Harris for the great question. If you have a question about Vermont history or anything else, ask it at bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter, and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. We're on Instagram and Twitter at BraveStateVT. This episode was produced by Emily Corwin, with editing from Mark Davis and me. Special thanks to Elise Gayette. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. Our digital producer is Elodie Reed, and we have engineering support from Chris Albertine. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions.
4: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.